Good morning. All right, we are, if you are just joining us in, in the midst of our series, we are doing a series called uh, Let Your Kingdom Come on the five sermons that Jesus gives in the book of Matthew. And right now, we are on the fourth sermon. We're just beginning it. It's Matthew 16 through 18, and this morning's title is um, The Community of the Kingdom Leadership. And so if you wouldn't mind just standing with me in honor of God's word, we're going to read the word of God and uh, get right into this. This is from Matthew chapter 16, um, 13 through 25. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, going through these sermons means we don't get to pick and choose. We just face whatever you're saying and we face it together. So Lord, please hide me behind the cross as we talk about leadership today. And Jesus, speak. Speak to us all. We're going to give you the praise for every good thing that happens here. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The community of the kingdom leadership. Point one is the mindset of a leader. the mindset of a leader. Jesus doesn't tell them who he is until they have discovered it on their own. Jesus says, who's everybody saying that I am? And they give all the opinions. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Peter, or or Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this. The Father has revealed this, and I'm going to call you Peter. Peter is is the the masculine word for stone. It's petros. It means a, a stone. And then he says, and on this rock, and when he says the word rock there, it's petra. It's, it's bedrock. On this bedrock, I am going to build my church. Peter is a small stone, and Jesus is, is using this to describe his leader, that you're going to be one of the stones in this temple that I'm raising up of, of human worship. But the bedrock of this thing is the confession that comes by revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
whenever the church tries to build on man instead of building on Jesus, it gets into trouble. Whenever people, leaders, raise themselves up and make themselves the center, uh, we get into trouble. Whenever people, and this is especially famous in America, whenever people lift up a leader and make a leader central, an anointed, gifted leader, it, it, it works in the same way American Idol works. It works because people want flesh and blood. They want to make somebody their center, their hero. And, but whenever that happens, um, the church gets weakened and people become very vulnerable. Here is the problem. There is a human tendency to glorify man. You see it in the original apostles. They are constantly talking amongst themselves about which one of them is the greatest. And from this very saying, Peter kind of had an edge up on all of them. Jesus, hey, I didn't say I was the greatest. Jesus said I was the greatest. And uh, church isn't going to work that way. It's not going to work with man at the middle. So at the Last Supper, Jesus says to his leader, Peter, you're, you're going to deny me three times. And, Jesus, and Peter says, Lord, I, I, he said, the rest of them maybe, but not me. I am willing to die for you. I am, I'm in, Jesus. I am, I'm your, your man, and I'm willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for you. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 22. He says, Peter, the enemy has come and has tried to sift you. Pride always exposes us to evil and to darkness. The enemy has come. He's come through this avenue called pride where we become uh, filled with ourselves. He's He's come and he's desired to sift you. He said, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail and that after you have returned, you will strengthen your brothers. Interesting. (laughs) We tend to think of faith failing as the denial, Peter denying him three times. (laughs) That wasn't faith failing. That had to happen. Peter, Peter had to go down. He had to get broken. Jesus prayed that his faith wouldn't fail, that he would get back up after he was broken of human pride, after he was broken of his own zeal, his own energy, his own ability, his own ego. After that is broken, the denials are going to break you, Peter. But I pray that your faith won't fail, that you'll get back up that you will get back up, that you will return, that you will be reinstated, and then you will strengthen your brothers and sisters. Now, now you've got a way to strengthen them because right now, Peter, you got yourself above them and you can't really help anybody when you're up here. It, we, we need to bring you down a few notches so that you have mercy and compassion. And when you speak from brokenness, you are able to strengthen. Your own wounds bring healing to others. Your own failure, your own discouragement, everything you've gone through gives you authority to strengthen somebody else. God brought me through so God can bring you through. John chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit is here to lift up Jesus, 
to lift up his salvation, to lift up this bedrock. It says, apart from the Holy Spirit, you can't even say Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit, when Jesus is lifted up, the Holy Spirit rushes in. The Holy Spirit is not here to raise up a human leader. When we start raising up the name of a human leader, we're, we're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. When we, he, the Holy Spirit's not here to lift up a church. When we lift up the name of our church or our denomination, that this is the greatest church or this is the greatest, we, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. He's not here to promote man. He's here, he's here to glorify Jesus. If we can agree with him in his mission statement, we're going to have a lot of the Holy Spirit. Now here is the difficulty. The Holy Spirit gives a warning through the Apostle Paul to current leaders. This is the elders at the church at Ephesus. Here's what he says. From among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. These are current elders that are anointed by God to be in that position. And some of them are going to prostitute that anointing. They're going to prostitute that influence. And instead of serving the body of Christ, they're going to speak perverted things. Here is the definition of a perversion of leadership. When instead of a leader drawing people to Jesus, they start drawing people to themselves. They start using their anointing and using their gifting and to draw people to themselves. And this, this has happened all over the body of Christ where people start good, they start anointed, then they get popular, they get a following, and they get away from God, but they can still minister and they still got a crowd and, and start pulling people after themselves. Listen to Matthew 24. But suppose that servant, this is the servant that the master has put in charge of the other servants. This is the leader. This is, if you read the context of Matthew 24, this servant is the one the master put in charge. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This servant started out good. He started out giving the, the other servants their food at the proper time, but he, then he said in his heart, my master is taking a long way from coming, and I've already got this position where I'm over people, and he starts using his position for the wrong thing. Here's what you need to understand about that. Jesus will judge his leaders. Says in James, not many of you should, should even desire to be teachers because they're going to be in, held in greater judgment. So when you see leaders going astray and you turn on the TV and they're using their anointing to raise money for themselves and, and all kinds of crazy things that are going on, know this. Jesus sees it. Jesus will, Jesus will judge his leaders in the end. This is why we need to pray for leaders. We need to pray for those that God has put in a position of authority because it can go to their head and they can start focusing on the wrong thing and it, it, it just happens. The mindset of a leader. Jesus has to be the bedrock. Jesus has to be the center. And then once they recognize who he is as the Messiah, Jesus corrects their understanding of Messiah. This is the first time in the gospel that Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to die, that he's going to suffer and die. Why did he wait until they called him the Messiah? Because that's, that's step one. They need to recognize this is the Messiah. This is God's Messiah sent to this earth. God's given, and God gave the revelation, and they own him as Messiah. But there's, now there's another problem. Their idea of what Messiah is is somebody that just kicks butt. 
Somebody that's going to take over the world and going to make them great and the Messiah is going to be great and, and, and they just, they've got it wrong. That's not Messiah. Messiah will eventually come and he will eventually judge, eventually will. But that, the first time, and they didn't see two comings, he's coming like a lamb to die in the place of his people. He's coming to take on the sin of the world. He's coming not to conquer armies, but to conquer sin, to conquer that which is in the human heart that is holding people. He's coming to suffer, and he's coming to die. And so Jesus tells them what what the Messiah is, and Peter says, Lord, never, never, this will never happen to you. You you need to understand, he's coming from a, a mindset and, uh, and Jesus says, get behind me. Satan, you're not thinking about God's things. You're thinking about man's things. And then, interestingly enough, <laughs> first he talks about his death, then he talks about their death, that they need to die to themselves. That if you want to follow me, this isn't just me. If you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross. And if you live to preserve your life, you're going to end up losing it. You need to lose your life. Jesus is calling leaders to join him. The Bible says that the hired man flees when when the sheep are attacked by the enemy. Why? Because they're a hired man. They didn't love the sheep. They just drawn a paycheck. The true shepherd, the good shepherd lays his life down, even if his own life is put at risk. He is willing to do that. That is leadership in the kingdom of God. Now, because it's Memorial Day and we're thinking about those who have died in the service of this country, I could have given all kinds of examples of godly, right leadership, but I thought we should go right back to the beginning of America. George Washington and the early fathers um, gave so much to establish this country and gave up their money and their wealth and their safety and their freedom. And uh, Washington became the first general of the Continental Army when there wasn't really an army. And just because it was the right thing to do, he did it. And, and the, the Revolutionary War was won against great, great odds. Um, you could not have a greater David and Goliath story. But after the war was over, Something happened in the Continental Army, those who had given so much. They, they, they didn't get paid. Congress had promised to pay them, and, but there was no money. There was no way to raise money then. And so the army was unpaid, and so some of the, the leaders of the army had gotten together and written this letter that was calling uh, people to revolt against the new country. And, and right at the beginning, this country would have just divided and it would have been horrible. On the morning of March 15th, 1783, General George Washington makes a surprise appearance at an assembly of army officers at Newburgh, New York, to calm the growing frustration and distrust they had been openly expressing towards Congress in the previous few weeks. Angry with Congress for failing to honor its promise to pay them and for its failure to settle accounts for repayment of food and clothing, officers began circulating an anonymous letter condemning Congress and calling for a revolt. When word of the letter and its call for an unsanctioned meeting of officers reached him, Washington issued a general order forbidding any unsanctioned meetings and called for a general assembly of officers for March 15th. At the meeting, Washington said, let me entreat you gentlemen on your part not to take any measures which viewed in the calm light of reason will lessen the dignity and sully the glory you have had to this point maintained. Let me request you to place a full confidence in the purity of the intentions of Congress. When he finished, Washington removed a letter from his breast pocket that he had received from a member of the Continental Congress. He hesitated for a moment as he looked down at the letter before fumbling to retrieve a pair of spectacles from his pocket. 
Before reading the letter, Washington, in an almost apologetic tone, said, Gentlemen, you must pardon me. I have grown old in the service of my country and now find that I'm growing blind. The eyes of most of his audience filled with tears. The content of the letter became irrelevant as the assembled officers realized that Washington had given as much or more in the service of the new nation as any of them. Within minutes, the officers voted unanimously to express confidence in Congress and their country. It wasn't the argument he made. It was the price he had paid. He wasn't up in an ivory tower. He was leading the troops. He was the first one out. When Peter speaks to leaders in 1 Peter 5, he says lead to his elders, he says, don't lord it over them. Don't make your identity in it and that you're over them. He said, but rather lead this way by being examples to the flock. You need to live this first. You need to be the first ones to pick up your cross. You need to be the first ones to do hard things. They will follow. You need to lead by example and not by an identity that lords it over those that are under your care. This mindset of leaders is very important, and here's why. Leaders have been given the capacity by God to either be keys in his hands that will open up the kingdom to hearts, to communities, to nations, or to be a stumbling block that blocks God's very purpose. I want to unpack that for just a moment. First, this. Here's why I believe the, the local church will be victorious. Jesus said these words, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The, gate, the gates of hell there, that's where they made strategies. That's where the leaders met. We're in the gates of the city. It's kind of foreign to us, but it means the strategies of hell will not overcome his church. Jesus says, I will build my church. This is why I have to believe in a victorious local church. If Jesus had said, you will build my church, then this could be one more thing that human beings fail at. Or if he had said, I will build your church, then human beings could fail at that. But Jesus didn't say either of those. He said, I'm going to build my own church. And that church, the one I built, the gates of hell, the strategies of hell will not prevail against. Now, that doesn't make us that church. That doesn't make me part of that church. Churches can go whichever way they want to go. People can go whichever way they want to go. But I don't know how you feel about it. I want to be part of that church. To be part of that church, to lead a church like that, then leaders actually have to be not leaders, but the first followers. They, they actually have to hear from Jesus. They need to let Jesus tell them what to do. Jesus needs to be in charge, not them. And when Jesus is in charge, God can use regular human beings to unlock things that wouldn't have been unlocked otherwise. Peter, I'll take you, I'll make you a key. I will open up the kingdom of God in regions and places and people groups. I will use you as keys in my hand if you will be the first follower. The, the, the Greek is a little interesting here, and the NAS actually brings it out better than the NIV. It says, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you uh, loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven heaven. Therefore, it's not about you deciding what you're going to bind and loose or permit and forbid, but you need to hear what heaven is doing. It is in your power to forbid or to permit, but to, to build the church he's building, you need to hear what heaven's doing. So a few years ago, 2011, our elder board got together, and we're right at the foundation of City Church at that point, and 
And here's what we decided as a leadership team. We don't want to have goals for this church. We don't want to have, we're going to, here's the five-year, here's the ten-year. Here's the goal. We only want one goal. We want to be a church that Jesus can do anything he wants to do. What if no one was telling Jesus what to do? What if no one was suggesting, Lord, we want you to do this and we want you to bless this? What if no one did that? What if we just said, Jesus, what do you want to do? And so we put together something called a crafted prayer. We're going to actually read it, pray it together next week, but um, next week is on unity. Um, And the idea of the crafted prayer is this. Instead of starting with what you'd like God to do, start by listening. Ask God what he wants to do. What does he want to do in the church? What does he want to build in the church? And then once you've taken time to listen, craft a prayer where you ask God to do what he said he wanted to do. And that might seem crazy. Why would you, if God wants to do something, why would you have to pray that God would do it? That's just how God set it up. Somebody voluntarily on earth has to agree with what heaven wants to do. Heaven's will doesn't automatically come down. Somebody's got to want it down here. Somebody's got to agree with heaven. Somebody's got to say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. As a voluntary lover, as a voluntary member of the human race, God, we want you. We don't want to do our own thing. We want to do your thing. And so next week we will, we will do the crafted prayer. So here is the funny thing. That when Peter actually tries to lead, he ends up being a stumbling block. His first leadership move as the newly appointed leader is to tell Jesus he's not going to the cross. He's not going to suffer. Uh, Lord, you got a new leader and you are not doing that. I'll tell you that right now. And here's the sobering words that Jesus says to him. Get behind me, Satan. That, th- this thought that you're in right now did not come from heaven. It came from hell. And then these words, you have become a stumbling block in my way. If you and I were God... I don't think we would let human beings, little puny human beings, block us. We're just like, we're, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. God's way more humble than we think. God is very, very humble. And he's like, I, I'm literally giving you authority. And if you, if you do the wrong thing and you do the self-serving thing and you do the man-centered thing and have in mind the, the agendas and the politics of man, you will block my purpose. Even though I love people and I want to reach and I want, to be a, I want you to be a key, you can block me. And so you could still have meetings, you could still have church, you could still have buildings, you could still do all the stuff and not be accomplishing my purpose but actually be in my way. And I will allow it. These are very sobering thoughts for an elder board. That we can either be a key in God's hand or we can be a block that keeps his purposes from being accomplished. We need to pray for our leaders, folks. (laughs) We, We need to pray. God has given great authority to leaders to either be keys or to be stumbling blocks. So the mindset of a leader, very important. Point two, leaders are supposed to protect and release God's people. Jesus said, whatever you bind or forbid will be forbidden. Whatever you loose or whatever you permit will be permitted. This is in a leader's hands. In any church leadership, this is, they get to decide. God has given authority to leaders to decide what are we going to permit and what are we going to forbid. So the question then becomes, what does Jesus permit? If we want to do what heaven is doing, then we've got to say, God, what do you you want permitted? 
And God, what do you want forbidden? So let's talk about permitting first. Here's the first thing God wants to permit in his church. Let the wheat and the tares grow together. Let the wheat and the weeds grow together. The leaders ask him, Lord, should, there's tares in this garden. Should we remove the weeds? Should we go after them? He said, no. Because you don't know for sure if they're weeds. You don't know what's wheat and what's tares. Let them grow together until the end of the age. And in that time, the harvesters, they'll know. I will judge at the end of the age. And this means this. The church needs to be this. Come as you are. It's on our sign. But to make it real, it actually needs to be in our hearts. The people can come as they are, and we're not their judge, and we're not to be suspicious of them, and we're not, are they really in, are they really out, are they, suspicion destroys a church. I was in uh, Minnesota at a, a church there, and one night I had a dream, and in this dream, it was very, very real. There was a there was a conspiracy going on in our congregation and those that appeared for me were actually against me and there was this brewing division in the church and I, I woke up, the dream was so real and I'm, I'm like, God, you're, you're, you're showing me that I need to deal with something and there's, there's something going on and, and I got just filled with this weight and this anxiety and, and then the, uh, the, the thought occurred to me, I believe it was the Holy Spirit. This is the devil. This isn't me. It's the devil. I saw it for what it was. I rebuked the devil, commanded him to leave, and went right back to sleep. Why would the enemy give somebody a dream like that? Oh, if he can sow suspicion in the church. Do you know that love believes the best? So if love believes the best, suspicion believes the worst. And if you've got a suspicious spirit, and unfortunately, charismatics are very vulnerable to this because we believe God speaks today and we, we believe in spiritual experiences. And so sometimes we don't discern our spiritual experiences. The, the, the devil comes like an angel of light. And we get this suspicion and we call it discernment and then we take up an accusation. Do you know it's the, the devil is the one that's called the accuser of the brothers? And, and when we grab a hold of a conspiracy and then we write a book about it and listen, just because your experience is real does not mean it's true. The, the enemy's a liar. And just because something happened to you and you saw something and you had a dream about something doesn't mean it's true. We've got to discern. We can't, we do, the church has wasted so much time promoting conspiracy theories from hidden knowledge and hidden prophetic experiences that are no more or less than accusations about the body of Christ. And we, we need to be willing to let the, the wheat and the tares grow together. Pastor Tom, it's, that's really messy. Yep, it is. And we need to love people. I don't know whether they're a wheat or a tare, but I know this, Jesus said to love them. Jesus said to put my arms around them. Jesus said to make a place for them. What does heaven tell us to permit? Secondly, gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be released and for people to grow. 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what he said. In the church... There needs to be a place for spiritual gifts. There needs to be a place for people to have a voice. When, when God tells about his church, he says the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out and men and women are going to prophesy. I'm going to pour out my spirit on your sons and daughters and they are going to prophesy. They are going to come speaking. The church needs to make a way for people to speak the, the activity of the Holy Spirit. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, he's right into lead. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. You need to make a place 
for the Holy Spirit to move and the Holy Spirit to speak. This is part of what leadership is supposed to do, is to permit people. This is not a one-man show. This is about a living body, and God has placed in the body all of these gifts, and, and God wants a symphony, not a soloist. So that's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place that permits. On June 5th, we're having a healing night in the prayer meeting, and our youth that are going to be least are going to be the team that ministers, and we're going to do a little teaching on them, but that, why? Because God wants them to know he wants to use them. He wants to speak through them. A church that only thinks that God speaks through the pastor is going to be a very weak church. We need to release our young people in a, and Dave is doing this down in children's church. Hey, God is speaking to you. God, you can minister. You are the church. You, you can minister. You can lay hands on people. It's not just the professional. This is what the church, the leadership of the church is supposed to do. And then Jesus said, whatever is forbidden, you need to forbid. What does heaven forbid? Well, it's interesting. There's a different rule with leaven than there is for tares. Tares, let them grow together. Leaven, you need to remove the leaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul, the whole book of Corinthians is questions the leaders have asked Paul, and Paul's writing back, and he's responding to a number of different questions. Um, Here's what he says. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus died for sins. What's going on in that church is there is gross immorality going on and the guy that is committing it is proud about it and he's just, he's kind of wearing it as a badge and the leaders are not confronting it. This is ongoing gross immorality and the leaders, for whatever reason, and Paul says, listen, Jesus died. Jesus died for sin and you're allowing mockery of what he died for to be going on. You guys need to man up and deal with it. You need to call it out. What is the church? What is the leadership of the church called to forbid? What is Jesus forbidding? We need to confront those in leadership that are teaching wrong things. Revelation 2.20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to elders. This is not against women in ministry. There's no, there's no question about why did you allow a woman to speak. That's not what's at, 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 at going on. Jesus is speaking to his leaders, and he's saying, listen, you guys are tolerating someone in leadership with a teaching ministry who's called herself a prophetess, and for whatever reason, you're afraid to confront her, and what's going on is the people under her are being destroyed. She is teaching on immorality. She's saying it's okay. She's teaching on food sacrifice to idols and that idolatry is okay and that the church can just do whatever it wants to. And you guys are afraid to confront her. Maybe she's a big giver. Maybe she's a prophetess. And therefore, don't tell the prophetess anything because God speaks to her. But she's very intimidating. It's an intimidating spirit. Of course, Jezebel is the she is the picture in the old... I don't think this woman's name was Jezebel. But Jezebel is the picture of intimidation in the Old Testament. There's an intimidating spirit, and the leaders are called to confront it. The reason why this is going on in the church is it because leaders have allowed it. Jesus says, you guys need to man up. You, you need to confront this because her servants are being poisoned. Now, we, we, this type of thing, we don't like this in America because that, that's not loving. It's not loving to confront somebody. It's not, it's not loving to remove somebody. Well, it's, like, it's kind of like this. We, we run a daycare over there, and we love every single one of those kids. But because we love every single one of those kids, when your kid is biting other kids and it keeps biting other kids, we have to remove the biter. 
Not because we don't love the biter. We love that little biter. We, we accept him unconditionally. We pray that he'll stop biting. But we have to protect everybody. That's called removing the leaven. Doesn't mean we don't still love him. Doesn't mean we don't still pray for him. You just can't, you can't be allowed to do that. And leadership is the only one that can deal with it. What are we to forbid? Thank you, Lisa. We are called to pastor the prophetic. This is 1 Corinthians 14, 31. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. 1 Corinthians 12, there are spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers. There are spiritual gifts. We need these spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13, love is the motivation for spiritual gifts. If you're not loving, it doesn't matter how many gifts you have. You're going to be a sounding gong and clanging cymbal. We need to love. 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And then he addresses what's going on in that church. Church is a, a disaster. Everybody is wearing spiritual gifts as their badge and they're speaking in tongues and services and they're prophesying and no one's waiting for anybody and they're interrupting each other and it's all in the name of the Spirit told me to. The Spirit led me and I'm so spiritual. And Paul said to his leaders in Ephesus or in Corinth, uh, you, guys need to, you guys need to pastor this thing. Let the prophet speak. Two, at the most, Three. The spirit of a prophet is subject to a prophet. The idea that they just have to blurt it out, that is wrong. They can hold themselves. And just because they have something doesn't mean they have to share. If two to three have already shared, it's okay. Just, you need to pastor this. The, The whole first Thessalonians 5, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but rather judge them and cling to what is good. We are called to exercise judgment and we need to protect the congregation because when the genuine prophetic is here it says in 1 Corinthians 14 when the genuine prophetic's operating the unbelieving in your midst will say this surely God is in this place and I didn't know it <clears throat> I was in a church in Minnesota and I, I was a very young pastor. I didn't really know anything, but I knew this. I'm a Holy Spirit guy. I want, the whole, I want the Word of God, but I want the Spirit of God too. And well, we had two women in our church that almost made me not want the Holy Spirit anymore. <laughs> because they just, they couldn't, they couldn't keep quiet. If there was ever an opening in worship, they, they popped off. One and then the other and and once they got going, it was hard to stop them. And thus saith the Lord. And, um, and they, but they were, they were good women. They, were, they had good hearts. They just, they just didn't have any self-control with the prophetic. And so I would talk with them. And, and then finally, uh, we, 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 I, I had to have a personal meeting with each one of them and say, listen, you've got a genuine prophetic gift. But right now, nobody can hear it. Nobody, nobody can hear it right now. When you open your mouth right now, everybody's heart sinks. Oh boy, here we go again. It's that time in the service and we're gonna endure through this. I said, so for a time, I gotta restrict you to once a month. And then I also have to restrict you a second way. When you start off, the first few lines you give are right from the Lord. And then you don't stop there. You add your opinion about it called hamburger helper (laughs) and I I just need you to say just what God is saying we have to pastor the prophetic The, the, the prophetic and the pastoral often are seem like they're in opposition we need both of them but we need, we need the church to be safe and we need the church to be electric. And so um, on June 12th, Tuesday night prayer, I'm going to be doing something called Growing in the Prophetic. Our, our staff asked me to do this because we want more of the prophetic. We just, we just want, we want it to be in a way that is safe and it protects people's identities. And, it, and, and uh, so anyway, you can come to that. We'll have more on that at, a, at another time.
point three, we're coming to the end. Honoring leadership. Jesus, the head of the church, says, I am giving to you, Peter, a leader, the keys of authority. It doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree with that Jesus should have done that. But the reality is this. Jesus is going to lead his local church through regular people. Psalm 7720, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Did you notice that all the time in the wilderness, do you know who the Israelites had problems with? It wasn't God. It was Moses and Aaron. <laughs> they, they resented being led by human leaders. We don't want to be led by human leaders. God is, speaks to us too, the sons of Korah. God speaks to us too. We don't, we don't want human leaders. We want to be direct, and we've got a direct connection. We don't want to submit to human leadership. Here's Psalm 78. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel's inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. God leads through weak vessels. So here's what's happened in our country. We have in this country been wounded by leadership. We have been wounded by parents. We've been wounded by presidents. We've been wounded by bosses. We have certainly been wounded by pastors and priests. And so... In the, in the response to that wound is we don't want any leadership. We just want Jesus to be the leader and we're going to be our own little separate thing and just Jesus is going to be the leader and we're going to have him lead us and human beings are not going to be involved. It sounds kind of good, doesn't it? Problem is, is that a church that's built that way, a community that's built that way, is never going to have authority. The way you get, and it is all about authority in the kingdom, guys. There's light and dark. There's two kingdoms going on. And if we're going to be in authority and have real authority, we've got to have a spirit that can submit to authority. If you're not under authority, you can't be in authority. And this just is how Jesus set it up, so he's calling us. The answer to bad leadership is not no leadership, it's right leadership. The answer is to, for, for those that have been wounded, is not to now not have leadership or alienate yourself from the church. It's to bring your wounds to the cross and let Jesus heal them. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, we'll end with this. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their, lot, their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So I was doing something for leaders at our last leadership day and and I'm studying this verse out, and I'm, it's so different in the NAS to the NIV because this one says, have confidence in your leaders. Do you know what the, N- the NAS says? Obey your leaders and submit to those over you. And I'm like, what's going on in this verse? Is it obey or is it have confidence? So I go to the Greek, and it explains it. And here's what it says. It says that the obedience or submission is based on persuasion. This is not blindly following leaders. They are my leader. I do whatever they say, you know. It is, it is no. You have been persuaded by their leadership. And because you've been persuaded, you have confidence in them and are willingly submitting to their leadership. This is not blind obedience, but it is un-American. <laughs> and here is the sobering part of this verse. When we dishonor leadership, when we are unwilling to even be part of a local church or to actually, you can go to church and not actually be part of the church. And I'm not talking about membership. I'm just talking about how you function 
It says that you go without the benefit of why God gave leaders. If you dishonor, you end up going without the benefit. Leaders are called to cover, which means keep safe and release. Leaders are called, not not the person, but the office that God's put them in. When you honor that office, there is a covering, and they're called to release you because the body of Christ needs to work together. And leadership, it's leadership that allows you to function and allows you. And and you, 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 without those benefits, you can never come into your destiny. So uh, early 1980s, I am in a group that is future leaders, and we, are, we, meet, we, we meet at least twice a month. It was the, the current leaders were training up us young leaders. Well, at this time, um, I'm just a new Christian, newly filled with the Spirit. I'm reading everything. I'm listening to CDs at night. And problem with listening to a lot of other preachers and reading a lot of books is you, you get a false sense of how much you know. I was just absolutely, the Bible says knowledge puffs up. And I was so filled with myself. I was so filled with my opinion. I, because I, I was reading Andrew Murray and I knew all about the, the deeper life and da-da-da. So every, every leader's meeting, they'd be up there teaching and, and, and it was without fail. My hand would go up. <laughs> yeah, but doesn't Jesus want da-da-da-da-da? It was always whatever it was, it was in contradiction of what they were saying or it was the balance of what they were saying or whatever. And, and I'm just... And then Alice and I had just started dating and, and it's moving. So Alice was kind of the one that I talked to the most and shared my intimate. And, you know, her and I both agreed that, boy, mm, I should be teaching. You know, I, I, I should be teaching. And so we would pray that, that God would raise, that they would, they, the leadership would recognize my gift and that they would call on me to teach. And, and so one day, here it comes. Sean O'Haran, one of the current leaders, says, Tom, um, after the service today, I'd like to meet with you privately. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Lord's recognized his servant. <laughs> Here it comes. The invitation is coming. And Sean, we, we sit in the pew back there. He pulls me aside after the service. And, and he just looks like he's seen a ghost. And he says this. He says, could we pray before we start? I'm like, sure. And he prays this fear of God prayer. Oh, God, please, God, help me to say what needs to be said. God, please help Tom receive it. And I'm just like, "Mm, this is not what I thought it was going to (laughs) be. And so he gets done with this fear of God prayer, and then he says this, with with great love and tenderness. He says, Tom, he says, uh, the the leaders have talked together, and, and, and they've sent me to talk to you. And and he said, it, it, it's not what you're saying in the leaders' meetings is wrong. It's just you're saying it in the wrong spirit. And it was like God took a knife and just cut into my heart. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was true. That I had gotten into the wrong spirit. I had become part of darkness instead of light. And by the grace of God, I repented, asked him to forgive me, asked the leaders to forgive me. And here's the amazing thing. I went back to those leaders' meetings, and all of a sudden, they were saying stuff that was really good. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden they made sense and this is good and this really applies to me and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Guys, I'll I'll be honest with you. If I had not repented at that time, I would not be standing here right now. Because if you can't be under authority, you're not gonna be in authority. I think it's really important that when I talk about honoring leaders, I do not mean agreeing with leaders. In fact, is the way you show honor the most is when you disagree. 
If you just agree with everything your leader's saying, you're not really being forced to honor them. You, when you disagree, you, you come and you, 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 you give your opinion, give, give why it is, and do it in a right spirit, in a humble spirit. Healthy families talk. We're happy to have you disagree, and let's talk. There's a lot of room to disagree in this body. We agree to disagree on a lot of minor things, but that doesn't mean dishonor. I just really want to encourage you. If, there's, if you've gotten into a critical spirit, and, and please trust me, there's no hidden agenda. I don't, I'm not aware of anything. It has been a joy to pastor this church. I'm not aware of any secret anything going on. It has been a joy. I, this is for you. Because I don't want you to miss the benefit that comes by honoring leadership where you are safe and you are released where you are becoming all that God made you to be. And some of you are leaders. And God will give you greater anointing as you submit to leadership. You're going to have more authority because you're more under authority. And so, all right, that's it. Let's stand. It's always hard for a leader to speak on leadership because it seems self-serving. <laughs> Be less critical of me. <laughs> Isn't God good? Yes. So we're going to have the worship team come. and You know, this just applies to all of us. Would you just mind opening your hands and we're just going to pray. Lord, all of the statistics say that the church in America is, is it's not advancing. It's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, even though we've got big buildings and cool music and cool everything and lots of money, we, we're, we're not advancing and we're not really changing this culture. And Lord, we want to absolutely exercise discernment before we follow just anybody. We don't want to blindly follow. We want to be persuaded. Not that this person is perfect or this ministry is perfect, but we want to be persuaded that at least it's honest. At least it's trying. At least it is trying to serve the body of Christ and not just serve themselves. God, make us really, really part of your church. The one you're building. The one that the gates of hell will not prevail against. The one that has protection and release to become everything that they're supposed to be. Lord, it is very difficult in America to not have a critical spirit. We go on the news, we go on Facebook, we go, and everywhere it's critical, 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 and we don't want to be under that, God. We don't want to be suspicious. Well, you're this and you're that and you're the wrong party or the wrong color or the wrong income. And so I'm suspicious of you. Break suspicion, Jesus, in our hearts. Break suspicion. Lord, the great need of this hour is for the world to see the glory of God, the power of God. The, you said pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Lord, people have all kinds of things that are wrong with the church, but probably the base of all of it is the church has been bored because we've kind of taken out the Holy Spirit from church and just kind of controlled it and made it palatable for everybody. Holy Spirit, we need you. I say this as a leader. I know our leadership team is saying it, but we're saying it as all church. We need you, Holy Spirit. We are not here to glorify ourselves. We're not here to glorify this church. We want to glorify Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you knit us together as a community? 
Lord, we are so independent in America, but we're never, we're never going to release the revelation of Jesus as just separate individuals. Your, your choice was a people loving each other, united together, releasing the beauty and the power of God together as a symphony. So God, would you do something in our hearts? Do something in this church. And God, we pray for all leaders in this country that are leading your church. Lord, grant us to own whatever is wrong and repent. And God, help us come together in you. Lord, I think of some of my best friends in this region, our other pastors. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in this region in unity. Thank you for these pastors that are not building their own church. They're building the kingdom. Lord, help us to be part of that. Help us to be a catalyst for more of that. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Lord, if anybody in this place has been under a critical spirit, just hasn't been able to really receive anything or very little from preaching, very little from any leader because of this thing. Lift it off in Jesus' name. Lift it off, God. Cover us and release us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, friends. We're going to have ministry teams at, in the front if you'd like more prayer. Have a great day.